0: I'm Dr. Jacqueline Dujay, and welcome to What is Black, a podcast that focuses on issues important to raising healthy and thriving Black children and adolescents. I created this platform because our children need to know that they matter, they are loved, and they are seen. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm so excited to continue this month focusing on youth activism, youth voice, and how we can really help, help make the space for our youth. Last week's episode focused on youth activism. This week, you know I love books. I'm focused on, my, my guest today, I should say, is Mahogany L. Brown. She's an artist, poet, activist, educator, organizer, writer. And she has authored three wonderful books for, for young people. One, Woke, A Young Poet's Call to Justice. You'll hear an excerpt. You'll hear one of the poems from that book during our interview today. Black Girl Magic, a poem by Mahogany L. Brown, and Woke Baby. Three, th- again, three wonderful books that sort of help, um, help parents start very early uh, uh, inspiring our children. We'll talk about the, the, the power of poetry, her work using poetry um, to help kids and really help um, affirm from young women um, and, and black and brown children in general. We'll also hear an excerpt from her her upcoming book, Chlorine Sky, which is also um, inspiring and, and it definitely inspired me. So I think you're going to love this episode and I can't wait to hear your feedback. So let's get started. Welcome, Mahogany, to this episode of What is Black Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, excited to have you. So my first question for you is, so you're a poet and a writer. And what I wanted to know is, what does what does being a poet, writer, and artist mean to you at this time um, in history?
1: Being a poet and a writer in this day and time, I'm not sure it's much different than before. It means telling the truth. It means uh, archiving history correctly because we know what happens uh, when we let um, others tell our stories, and it means uh, being okay with the uncomfortable task. Uh, of of holding the hurt, and not that it is um, the thing that I uh, I thought I would be doing. <laughs> By no means had I had I uh, been prepared to um, be this kind of enraged all the time. I I do believe now that I'm I'm quite lucky to have the skill set to be able to articulate what we see every day, and some of us don't have the the words for the vocabulary for the verbiage for. But we feel it in our bones, so I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that I I have the task now, um, and and this position. So it means being prepared. It means being prepared to, to to not just keep it, um, honest, but to keep it accessible. So
0: let's let's get into the discussion of of your books, and you know, I really would love to dive into more about how. You know this presence that you have, right? This this almost becoming a vessel, right? For what's happening, right? And our history, um, feelings, right? And you pour that into the books. Um, so, so I had the opportunity to read and um, review three of your books: Black Girl Magic, Woke Baby, and Woke a Young Poet's Call to Justice. Mm-hmm. And if you could, if you could talk about one the progression of the ideas. Um, for encouraging and acknowledging the voices and gifts of of children, and then also that that um, that special gift that you have of being this poet and writer, what that brings to to these books.
1: So when when I think about what I'm talking about now with young people, specifically Black Girl Magic and Woke: A Young Poet's Call to Justice, those two specifically are things that I wish I had heard. Or someone had talked to me about. I I fell very much in love with books at a young age, but it was very difficult to find um, writers that looked like me, that sounded like you know the families I come from, or even the neighborhoods that I come from. So I wanted those two in particular to be to to, to be the blueprint, you know, for for uh, finding your way out of some of that, that chaos that can consume you, that can make you feel like you are alone and isolated because you you don't necessarily feel completely understood. In regards to Woke Baby, that was my first shot at writing a, a child's poem, a poem for children. And what was most important was that um, the cover reflect a young Black and brown baby, because it's even going, you know, baby shower shopping now. It's so few and far between when I can find uh, gifts before where, where the books look like the parents, right? Um, so I, I wanted to make sure that 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 book was woke baby was a part of the lineage of the Eloise Greenfields, honey, I love, and so th- th- that was really important for me um, when thinking about creating those images and, and those stories with those voices. How the poetry is working for me now um, when talking about it, I feel like uh, it's such a, a, a magnificent tool and it's so underused And people forget the power of poetry, you know. More times than not, they forget the power of art. Learning happens in so many ways. And poetry is just another way of teaching. Um, Why I turn to it often, and I've been teaching in in public schools, group homes, um, prison facilities uh, since 2001. What I've learned is that because the rules are so loose, yeah, the rule the rules are loose when when talking in poem, and there are always uh, ways to to reimagine. So you can actually you know have a poem that exists in a certain form, and you you get to rearrange it and create something new, and uh, that's just so empowering for young people um, to come to an educational space and find out that they too can be the teachers in that moment.
0: So I want to go back a little bit to to your discussion of woke baby. And this, this, this wanting to create something that, you know, it's accessible, especially for young, you know, for definitely for younger children. And I wanted to, to share with you. Um, so I'm a pediatrician and been working with colleagues to, to try to figure out like, how do we diversify some of the book recommendations that we give as pediatricians? Cause many pediatricians offices, mm-hmm. we participate in a program called reach out and read that encourages early childhood literacy, but we know from, you know, from research that books that have kids that represent them, right, are written by authors and, and kids can see themselves in those books and the books that they read, that it's not only about literacy, it's about building characters, about building a sense of who you are, right, and centering centering yourself. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say that your, your book has been so, so vital, in creating that canon of diverse and inclusive literature for very, for very small kids, right? Cause there are very few um, board books that have babies, right. And are written by, by black authors. Mm-hmm. So thank you for, for your work. Thank you for that. Thank you. So it's definitely on a lot of people's radar now um, as pediatricians are trying to um, help parents navigate this issue of, Um, racism and because we know racism impacts health right causes stress it causes um, it can lead to lead to chronic diseases and and for many communities of color especially black black folk we suffer disproportionately um, from a lot of diseases and reading it's amazing how reading and starting 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 with books that create to affirm you affirm you can help you know really help make a difference so thank you for thank you for what you do
1: thanks oh that's so good
0: um the other the other question I had about you brought up um the use of poetry in education right to to teach in the areas that you teach right young people um older people I was wondering do you think that poetry is such a great tool I was just thinking for a couple of reasons one the white space right and then secondly the the rhythm mm-hmm. if those are also in very if those make them excellent tools for, for teaching and, and engaging young people.
1: I think the, the, the white space is definitely helpful because it, it isn't as daunting, right? The text doesn't loom over you. Rhythm, I used to think rhythm was the easiest thing. And then I realized breaking the rules <laughs> was the easiest thing because some don't have the capacity to catch rhythm let alone create it. But what you can allow uh, the the author to to come to terms with is that because you can create a form or you can follow the form, one or the other, right? If you want to make something that rhymes, you're so welcome to. And if you want to say not rhyme, that too is okay. Like the flexibility in the form is what I found to be the most useful because you have a lot of young people that are used to folks telling them no not only telling them no, but telling them to be quiet. And here you are in this, this one little, this, this so-called little form seemingly little, and it's, it's giving them the power to do everything that society is asked them not to do. And how, like how magical it is to witness a young person, find their voice. And it's through poetry, honestly, that I've witnessed the most uh, miraculous, uh, um, risings from these young people uh that that become poet laureates that become professors themselves um that become you know uh writers for the governor like writing with young people has ultimately changed my my landscape forever because i know that Everything is possible. Everything is possible. Poetry teaches. um, It teaches community building. It teaches, uh, you know, public speaking. It teaches confidence. It teaches debate. Like you have to be able to stand by what you're saying. And even if the poem is is a piece of fiction, right? If it's flash fiction, if it's if it's um you know an iteration of a dream, you're able to to articulate what that means and what it stands for. And just having these these young theorists uh, come into themselves through this form has has really been uh, life changing for me as well.
0: And I'm wondering because of you know of all the things you're saying about poetry. There's so many, well, I think it's I think it's many, right? Authors of color that are that have foundations in poetry. Mm-hmm. And I wonder why, you know, why that is, and, and just I guess maybe hearing you, you know, hearing you discuss the power of poetry and how how it can transform, right, and really engage people. Maybe that's why many successful authors have roots in, in poetry. I think so. I think
1: I think there's something to be said. This could be a study all in its own because it starts off short, right? It's it's a it can be a haiku, it could be a senri. it can be a sonnet, it can be one page, it can be several. You can invest a little bit of time into the page and not necessarily walk away feeling like if that page isn't accepted somewhere, then the whole story is gone. You can edit and recreate. Whereas I think novels are much more daunting and and they require much more not necessarily focus but like the time invested in writing a novel is different than writing a poem now not talking about poem collections or poetry books but i'm talking about the poem and the page the one page uh i think that has a lot to do with with you know these amazing authors that come from that come from the lineage of poetry you have to have a way with words, you know, you have to be able to touch the soul. And a lot of people, their poems are okay. (laughs) Um, no shade, but you know, some people's poems are poems. They're like, yes, that is the, the correct form. You did it correct. But there's something to be said about the soul in a poem. And, um, some of our best writers understand that, that, you know, that component, um, and they're able to, um, transfer that kind of energy into these really you know great american novels
0: so i want to transition or bridge a little bit i've i've read that hip-hop has influenced your poetry and writing Mm -hmm. i wanted to delve into a little bit about how how that how if if that's one if that's true okay and then secondly how has how has hip-hop influenced it
1: okay i'm gonna make it i'm gonna do the uh the abridged version. I definitely am a child of hip hop. However, I, my my beginnings as a writer was not through poetry. I my in of what was junior year of high school. My AP Lit teacher told me that my poem was uh, incorrect. And again, you hear me talking about how there is no wrong way to write a poem. Like there's different ways to write poems, but like if you can explain your reasoning behind it. Um, then, there, then there is always a way for a new form to be created but when you think about the traditional canon of poetry it wasn't being taught that way before and my love for poetry came and went in a series of two weeks when I was uh, in a junior year in my in high school and my AP lit teacher had told me <laughs> we had to recreate um, we had to remix a classic and my classic was Dante's Inferno I decided I'm going to remix Dante's Inferno with NWA lyrics I thought that made sense. I was really excited. She was highly unimpressed and told me that if I didn't do it over. She was going to fail me. So I said, oh, then this is exactly not what self-expression is. And I hate this. I hate this. Uh, I hate this class now. Right. I didn't do any poetry again until I was 21. Um, up until 21, I was still writing for the, for the, newspaper and things like that. But what brought me to New York in the first place um, was me writing for hip hop magazines and uh, freelancing for Honey and Source and interning at XL And so hip hop journalism was a large part of, is a large part of my DNA. And I say is because it's still, you can still hear those rhythms when I'm reading certain poems. Like I always have a cadence that. Definitely is, follow, is following a, a, a soundtrack somewhere from either I don't know N.W.A. or Too Short to Little Kim. Those were the those were the voices that brought me to myself. Um, even before I understood that some of it uh, would be the thing that I would rage against in my poems now. So that that's the short answer. Uh, Hip hop has long been a part of my life and still is.
0: I can definitely feel that in, and how you speak, you know, when you when you do do your spoken word um, poetry. So, but so I just I just found that fascinating, because I mean I was thinking about the movie with Sanaa Latham. Was it
1: Brown <laughs> Brown Brown Sugar Brown Sugar? Brown sugar.
0: Yeah. When did like, you
1: fall no. in love with hip hop?
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So yeah, so so I had reminiscence reminiscences of that.
1: That's okay. I like that movie. That
0: was a good one. Now I wanted to move on to a couple of quotes from. There was an, a recent article from We Need Diverse Books, written by Ariel Vinso. It was it was titled "How Children's Authors Create Change Outside of Their Books." Mm-hmm. And so, the two quotes that were taken from the, that I took from the article were: the first one was for me using my art to respond to the things that impact my community is a way of life. It is a tool for remembering and honoring. It also is a war cry. Mm-hmm. Um you then said, Audrey Lord vowed our silence will not save us. I take that res- I take that seriously because I've seen what happens when more than one voice speaks up for what is right. I've been what I've seen what can change when more than one city block responds to injustice. And then the follow-up quote from that article was, I want to see the stories that move my blood, not just traditional ones in the so-called canon. Centering black voices, femme protagonists, and children of the hip-hop lineage is my focus. This is an act of revolution too. Mm -hmm. So my question was, has your motivation to write always been about making a difference or has it evolved over time? I
1: think it's evolved before I was writing because I was told to shut up. Right. So like, I was like uh, told because I was a girl, I need to be quiet because I was black. I need to be quiet because I was a child. I need to be quiet. And so poetry and writing became the one way in which no one got to tell me to shut up, right? And I did not understand that that was a metaphor for the rest of my life. I didn't realize the, um, you know, how those two informed each other until until later and then i was like oh so if you tell me to be quiet before i get to this age then i'll you know then these these are the these are the ways in which i'm more of a consumer rather than an owner these are the ways in which i'm more of a follower rather than a leader these are the ways in which i don't challenge a broken system and i just go along because it's it's easier for the powers that be So I did not realize at the beginning that that was my purpose. I just, it just, I just knew I I had to say something. Um, I had to tell my story. I had to tell the truth. And I, and I also had to tell my grandmother's story because there were so many moments where my grandmother, my mother, even my great grandmother now that I'm learning that these you know these matriarchs uh, their story was told by people who weren't them and their opinions were given to them or their silence if they were silenced there there was a you know there was a formula to to learning the what they really felt and it, it rarely came from these history books so that that became my charge. Over time, it evolved because I, I recognized the power of archive and I recognized the power of the page. And I recognized um, that if not me, then who? Right. So. I think over time, you know, I did I did realize how those numbers added up. But in the beginning, I definitely was just trying to get free, personally free. I didn't know my liberation could liberate so many others.
0: And what you're saying, you know, really does, you know, does really speak to me because I, as you were talking about your family, your family history, right, this matriarchal matriarchal history. I thought, you know, I, I was thinking about my my history. Right. I my mom won't share anything past a certain period of time. Mm hmm and i know that's because of trauma right mm-hmm. and probably because she had to be silent right there was no way for her and i don't think she had had the means to to write it right she couldn't speak it mm-hmm. so she so she packed it down and so i don't have that so th- that history isn't shared mm-hmm. and i agree with you i think it is liberating right when you can tell your story struggle you know Um, opportunity, greatness, you know, the whole spectrum. So I love, I love that you, you found that, that in you, but I'm just wondering how, who helped you cultivate that? Mm. And then potentially could there be lessons for parents, right? How, how can parents make sure that we can really allow our children to have voice Mm -hmm. so that they can heal and make a difference?
1: Yeah. I love that question. Thank you for that. I think my mother didn't, my mother, my grandmother, they gave me books to read. That was my, that was my escape. And that gave me the power to consider myself as a writer later. But now in this day and age, I wish I would have found an urban word or a youth speaks or um, any of these youth literary organizations that, That's, that's where I was teaching since 2003 and, and I'm now the artistic director. So like, I wish those spaces existed for me where it was just an after school program that you can go and, and work on your ideas with other like-minded folks. And you also got to be in a space that, that championed you being on stage or champion you writing this book or champion you writing this article. It was really all about the word. Um, and, and the, the youth voice. Um, having something to say and, and and being able to speak for themselves. So I wish I had that then and now that it exists, I would I would tell every parent from here, you know, to to wherever like this is this is the way, this is the wave. And if you just take a young person to a poetry slam or take a young person to a, a open mic or take a young person to a, a youth literary conference, you will see the magnitude. Um, of what can happen. Now they may not all be poets or they may not all be like poets who want to perform, but they will find their tribe, right? They will find a way for, um, to stand out and speak up for themselves. Even if it's just, okay, I don't want to read poems, but I can edit or I can help this person practice, you know, like every, every community requires different positions, just like the revolution, just like the protest. There is no one way to get the to get to the revolution, everybody can't be on the protest line. Who's watching the kids? Who's who's making sure that we have bail money after the protest goes awry? Who's making sure that the correct information is getting out? The, everybody has a position to play, and the same
0: way goes with poetry. Awesome, awesome. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind um, reading one of one of your poems. Mm-hmm. Um, there was there was one from woke a young poet's call to justice. Mm-hmm. Which one would you like to hear? Um, it was, that was actually one I originally wanted to, wanted you to, to speak, to, to, to talk about, but there was one that just so resonated with me and I have the book and I'm just looking at it right now.
1: Isn't this a pretty book? I love this book.
0: This is beautiful. I and I love, yeah. And the fact that you have three different, um, authors, poets, Elizabeth Acevedo mm-hmm. and Olivia Gotwood. Mm-hmm. joined you and then you have a Ford by Jason Reynolds and you want to talk about like powerhouse poets right, like, right, like, right, it's, all right. Stacked, it's all stacked to years like
1: and what's amazing is all of these uh poets were like Jason was a younger poet when I met him I met him before his first YA book I met him when he was doing poetry in New York Olivia Gatwood I met her as a youth poet at the International Youth Poetry Festival she was representing Albuquerque she might have been 15 or 16 and I met uh, Elizabeth Acevedo at Urban Word NYC. I was a mentor there when she was on the slam team. So all of these people in this book come from youth poetry, which is like such you, you know the chef's kiss. It's like
0: the cherry on top. The poet's pen stuck out for me, especially given the the prior question. I so could read think that. I can Do the poet's pen? I could do that. The
1: poet's pen. What does the silence of a people sound like? Maybe the silence you hold in your chest, the silence before a body falls to the ground, the silence after a cry pierces the air, the silence when listening for a newborn's breath, or does it sound like an orchid growing toward the sun? Does it sound like a moon moving above the crashing waters? Does it sound like a poet and the poet's pen? Moving against the paper, speaking stories about their home city and a single mother's song. Moving against the paper, speaking stories about farming and a father's well wishes or a graduation ceremony. Moving against the paper, speaking stories about bicycle spokes and trading cards clicking hello to passersby. A silence can sound like many things. That is why we choose to write. Poems as a people's almanac for those
0: unable to speak. Oh man, I have the goosebumps. Okay, so again, I think this does really, you know, speak to, you know, how we started out. How um, you have this power, right? But as as an artist, poet, writer, right, to really capture history. Mm-hmm. And I I saw a quote that you had on Instagram and and Twitter. You you said in that quote uh, or wrote in the quote um po- poems tell us about a history that is often erased or ignored mm-hmm. and it was after reading that poem that that it really clicked really clicked for me right mm-hmm. this power that you have to document and examine history that a lot of a lot of other art forms or types of writing don't really allow us to do right or or allow a reader to 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 take in and understand
1: mhm mhm i do a Yeah, I do remember that quote. Had it not been for Sonia Sanchez and Amiri Baraka, um, June Jordan, Audre Lorde, um, Nikki Giovanni, um, and so many others from the Black Arts Movement, I I wonder what we would think, what we would know, um, how we would remember Asada and Angela. You know what I mean? Like there are autobiographies that exist that tell us what was happening. Um, But those poems, those poems also are a punctuation. You know, they are, they're an exclamation point. They are a comma. They are adding to um, the historical essays and autobiographies that have been written. Who wrote that poem? I have to think. It's on the tip of my tongue, but like there's a beautiful poem. I think it was Nikki or, no, it was Sister Sonia Sanchez. I think she wrote about... uh, Was it Aretha? And I just thought, wow, like here you have, you know, this this is a form of ekphrastic, right, where the art is responding to the art. The artist is responding to the artist. And I love that 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 moment where the 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 fourth wall is brought down and you get to see how art informs other art and not just art informs other art, but people inform people, inform communities, inform tradition. Right. So like, I love that. And I, I can't
0: imagine
1: who I would be now without those pieces existing.
0: You know, to your point that, you know, there are many biographies written by our wonderful leaders and and artists. But again, you know, sometimes those, those books are very didactic, right? She lived here, Mm -hmm. she died here, right? And it's just very chunky. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think with the power of poetry, you know, again, you talk about a cadence, you talk about like, to me, it's there's movement. Mm-hmm. Right. If it's done, if it's done well, mm-hmm. so that you can you, you in the mood of a mood of a poem can match maybe that point in time that that artist is writing about that other artist. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a give and take. So which I which I love. Yeah.
1: And it was, uh, it was uh, a poem for Aretha by Nikki Giovanni. It was Giovanni that did that one.
0: Awesome. Awesome.
1: And it does add color. It does. It adds, it adds, you know, this, because biographies, they're, I don't want to say clinical, right. But they're matter of fact more times than not, it's like this happened, this happened, this happened. Whereas the poetry, you know, it brings in the human senses sometimes that we, we eliminate from articles and we eliminate from from certain kinds of writing. And so those senses are returned to us through poetry. So you can smell what was cooking when that Aretha song played and you can hear Aretha's voice and you can see the reaction of Aretha's voice on the bodies in the room. Right. You can I mean, it just it's also it, it, it feels like an out of body experience.
0: Yeah. And as you're as you're talking about that, right, I'm I'm starting to envision like the music, right, especially with, you know, we're talking about Aretha Franklin. I hear the music, right? Mm. You even speak as I mean, you could tell you're poor, right? Because even the way that even the way you speak and answer questions, it's like, oh, man, this is intriguing, So, which is cool. (laughs) That is trippy. And I love it.
1: Yes. (laughs) And the other one that I was thinking of was um, the elegy that Sister Sonia Sanchez did for Billie Holiday. So, you have like, it's just so rich, right? It's just so rich. The culture is already rich as is, but you have those moments where it's just, you know, you can't contain it. Like how you feel goosebumps when you hear the thing. It can be church. It can be sister talk in the kitchen. It can, it can be, uh, you know, an, an Oprah moment. There are moments when the truth hits you and, and the body responds chemically. And, and these are the poets and the poems that I think, they 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 build that bridge for the human connection.
0: So I'm going to rip off a little bit of your idea of building a bridge. Mm-hmm. So not only do you write, you founded the Woke Baby Book Fair. Yes, and so I was wondering if you could share information about um, about why it was important for you to create create that book fair and what it does for um, for people that that participate.
1: Woke Baby Book Fair was my response to uh, (laughs) uh, missing my scholastic book fairs when I was in grade school. It was like, I remember those little magazines coming out, me going home and picking out all the stories that I wanted. And my mom saying, okay, you have 20, you get two, right? Um, But I wanted to do it slightly different because that still exists. And I wanted to make sure that there was just a place for a discussion about diverse books and authors and uh, equitable (laughs) discussions um, with these authors and um, inclusion because I didn't, I don't remember, like I said, I I don't remember seeing myself often. And so that, that is, that is, you know, there, there's these checkboxes that I have to make sure um, are accounted for when considering books, they need to be pushing the page they need to be pushing ideas they need to um be uh informing and educating you know our our revolutionaries of tomorrow it can't just i mean i'm here for you know books about counting all of that stuff is amazing and there is a place for them it always has been but it's a rarity that you can find over 20 books in one space that that is talking about the different ways in which you raise your child to be a critical thinker, to be a global citizen. And that's what Woke Baby is.
0: Oh man. So I'm down for that. So I I mean I think I think that's a that's a wonderful purpose and goal for for books. And and again it to me it just it just expands the power, right? If, if, as long as these books are accessible to kids I and mean, it sounds like you're making them accessible. So hopefully in 2021 um we'll, con- we'll continue to see more and given the given the pandemic, everything sort of kind of changed. But yeah. are you hoping for 2021 that you'll be able to have the book fair again or finding ways again. to do it virtually?
1: It, it'll just happen in a different capacity, um, but it, it will happen again because, the you know, the literature doesn't stop and the movement doesn't stop. So we just have to respond uh, to what the time requires. But the time is always now. So we'll,
0: we'll be back. Before we wrap up, I did want to have you have the opportunity, if you if you can, um, share a sneak peek of your upcoming novel, Chlorine Sky.
1: Yes, I'm so excited. Okay, so Chlorine Sky is this coming of age novel in verse about um, a young black girl growing up, um, dealing with colorism, dealing with first friendship fractures dealing with um, what does consent mean, dealing with gender norms, um, and all through the means of a, it's it's all tied up um, through her love for basketball and swimming. So I think I'm going to read this part here. Yes. Okay. After fourth grade, I learned... You think you so smart is a threat. In high school, without no daddy to show me how to dribble or pivot with a sister who act like she hate me and a cousin who more sister than cousin, I figure I'm safer if I stay away from light. Ain't no daddy to say move right, right, left. Mama worked for everyone so I don't hold my breath. Just stay away from the spotlight. The light gets too hot for brown girls like me to feel safe. This is when I learned to play not as smart. This is when I learned to keep my hands in my lap during Mr. Wacobe's class. This is when I learned to not run as fast. This is when I stopped beating the boys and running and kickball and tetherball and t-ball. This is how I learned to play not as big because nobody got time for a girl outshining them. My big cousin Inga says, who you playing small for? And I pretend I don't know what she's talking about. She's five foot 11 and the tallest woman in our family. She's a basketball coach for the little kid league during summer. And after she saw I had handles in fourth grade, she ain't let me drop the rock since. Who you playing small for means I don't get to slink into the corner. I don't get to find a home in the shadow. Not when there is a court nearby. Just a Um, little bit. Just a little bit. Oh,
0: man. I started tearing up with that uh, question like who are you playing small for mm, mm. because it's cuz it speaks to me right it says you know that a lot of times even as as black women and mothers right we don't model this for our children and then mm. and we and they ask they ask those questions if they may not even be able to articulate it right but how they may may show up in the world or act mm. so that they have to stay small or stay little because they don't see us being being our beautiful selves, right mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and our, and how how wonderful we are and I love the fact that she has someone older an older an older role model right to to speak those to speak those words to her and really shake her up and say look you know what and ask asking that question, I want you to understand how you have the power you have the beauty you have you should shine oh I love it I love it and I haven't even read the whole book oh man. Oh, that's beautiful. Because again, I think, you know, I and I think that I I fall into that trap, right? Yeah. That, you know, it's like, why am I dimming? And I and, and I have a colleague. We spoke the other day, and she she said those same, you know, not the exact words, but the, sort of the similar words. Like, why are you? Why are you dimming your light for somebody else
1: absolutely I think we all I mean we've been taught to we've been taught that this is the way you know you ta- if you take up too much space then who will want you and and as a a woman right as as a, a female a femme uh, feminine whatever you want to call it when you are when you are growing up girl you are constantly reminded that you can never have take up too much space. Um but as a black woman, <laughs> you ain't supposed to take up no space. Like you really are supposed to be in the shadows. Like your job is to just help whoever needs you. And that's it. Like you at best, your name will be remembered for helping someone do something. At best. Right. Um so
0: yeah, it, it, it's or, definitely or not remembered or not remembered at all, right? So we're talking about um, uh, at, the, at the time we're recording this, right, Brianna Taylor? Her name is out there, right but mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: she took up too much space, right Her case took up too much space
1: <laughs> and and not even that they decided that she didn't deserve to even be recognized. We're recognizing the harm done to her and they're recognizing the harm done to her neighbor's wall yeah how despicable like what are you like if you think about the kind of interrogation that must happen in a young black girl's mind after that happens what are you trying to say to them you like what are you reminding them what are you what are you who are they not to be after that what can we become knowing that this is what the country thinks of us it is it's it's so dangerous and reckless and 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 infuriating so yeah you're right on all fronts on all fronts i mean just you know the Black existence is just so disregarded in this country. It makes me, it makes me pause. Like, what am I writing these poems for? Why am I fighting? Because, but I know better, right? I know that the idea is to uh, distract me. Uh, The idea is to damage, destroy, but we will remain focused. And we may not see the justice that we deserve to see. Brianna didn't see it, and 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 bless that Brianna's law exists, and and bless her mother Tamika for for like keeping her name ever present with all of the work that they're doing in the forefront. But it is going to require us to steadfast because we can't we can't let it happen again. They got to know that this can't happen again, and it is not just your job that is at stake, right? our safety's at stake like our lives are at stake and we're still willing to speak up and we have to keep it up we 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 can't stop
0: and i think again it goes back to you know my first question right that that role that you have right the power that you have as a poet and a writer an activist an artist that will make all the difference in the world because a child an adult reads your words right and fi- and can find solace can find hope can find themselves or and or reimagine themselves when the world um tells them that they they don't matter they don't exist but in your words they do exist right they they're seen which i think which which i think is so such a wonderful um gift mm. thank you agreed so how can our listeners learn more about um, all your wonderful work, books, and where you might be speaking next?
1: I am Mo Brown everywhere. M-O-B-R-O-W-N-E. That's on Instagram, on Twitter, Chlorine Sky. Uh, there's a, a little excerpt that exists out in the world with me reading it. You can see that on um, Refinery29, or you can go to the site created just for Chlorine Sky, which is Mahogany L Brown with an E at the end of Brown. And if you go to my IG, you'll see I'm, I literally think I'm performing every other day this week. We still go, these poems are going to happen because they are, they are a bomb, you know, and, uh, I will never, I will never pretend that the healing properties of art and community, um, haven't saved me time and time again. So I am, I am, a, I am a servant to it and I'm so glad. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And this has been, I think it's, I think it's definitely important to, to find community and to, to speak, speak hope and love and, and prosperity. And I think you do that. And I wish you, I wish you all the success all and, and wellness and peace. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. And I want to, again, extend a special thank you to our special guest for this episode, Mahogany L. Brown. I just thought she would be a great addition, so sort of like a bonus slash extra episode for this month. Typically, we're biweekly, but I couldn't couldn't resist adding um, this conversation to this month's discussion about anti racism, activism, and really um, creating spaces for kids to to learn about themselves and and again be affirmed and to help them thrive. So she really inspired me, and I hope that she inspired you. Um, through this conversation, and you, you know, you reach out to to get her books because I think they're awesome. Even as an adult, I'm I I found them inspirational, especially Black Girl Magic, and all all of all of her work really is inspiring. So, again, thank you for listening. And as always, um, I'd like to encourage you to you know rate and review us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear um, how you what you think about the podcast because that really helps us co- create more content and also um, informs us on how well we're doing. Cause we always, I always love the feedback. In addition, please don't forget to um, we do have a newsletter so you can sign up for our newsletter at www.whatisblack.co. And again, we'd love to hear, hear from you um, via our social media platforms. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So I can't wait to hear from you. And until next time, and also it's still October. We have a few more weeks to go. So if you haven't registered to vote, please register to vote based on your state. So hopefully the deadlines have been passed in your state. If they haven't, please register to vote and have a plan to vote. So vote early and with a friend. And until next time.